0: to all the lovers out there. This is the How to Love a Human podcast moderated by Dr. Candice Nicole Hargons. Follow and come chat it up some more with us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candice Nicole and on our website DrCandiceNicole.com. You will find those links in our description box. Today the How to Love a Human podcast welcomes Dr. Charmaine
1: to the space. So sit back And join us along this journey on how to love a human. Hey, everyone. Welcome to How to Love a Human. I'm here with Dr. Jackman. Would you prefer me to call you Charmaine, Dr. Jackman, Dr. Charmaine? What do you like? You know,
0: you can call me. I'll answer to anything, I think, for this audience. I usually say Dr. Charmaine, but Charmaine, you know, we're cool like that. So. I'm not going to call you out if you call the wrong one. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. I'm going to call you Dr.
1: Charmaine. (laughs) And I'm so excited to have you here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into my first main question? So what do you do and how do you do it?
0: All right. So I will start with I am a mom of two. And so that is something that I, I have learned to center Um, Just as a professional, um, just trying to rebalance. I'm also a licensed psychologist in Massachusetts and Rhode Island and the founder of a company called InnoSight, where we help people of color connect to therapists of color. And we do a lot of work around employee uh, well-being. So I am very passionate about mental health and making sure that people who've not had access to it have access to quality mental health care.
1: Yes. So with all of those titles <laughs> and ways of being in the world, are you feeling human or human AF? Human ass <laughs> fuck. <laughs> so I'm not one to use the swears, but I'll do the human
0: AF. Yes. Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> what does that mean for you?
0: Um. You know, it's, you know, I think making, for me, it's, Really interesting the transition that I have navigated to this point. I am officially a 50-year-old woman. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. And so, like just embracing that place in my life, um, the work that I do, you know, leaving a job, leaving the comforts of a job, and you know, in my late 40s to start this new business venture. So I think all those things just, you know, me coming into my own, coming into my place of being in the world. So that feels really good and makes me human AF.
1: <laughs> yes. Showing up as your full self, coming into your full self at this stage exactly. in life. Yeah. yeah. What are your most salient identities? So you talked about centering parenthood and it sounds like that's something different than the way it used to feel. Can you kind of talk through that and other aspects of your identities that feel salient?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, yeah, my mom um, had kids later on in life. So I was 38 when I had my first child.
1: Mm-hmm. Same for me, 36. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and 40 when I had my second. So I think, you know, growing up, I, I, I should also, salient identities, Black women, um, for those who might be listening. Um, if you can't tell, I have a little accent. I'm from the Caribbean. So, Rub you know, your country. I'm Barbados. <laughs> oh, I got a little blue and
1: yellow going on here, too. There you go. There you go. Because, you know, it matters. Like, we be using over here in the U.S., the Caribbean, the Caribbean, but your country, your nationality matters. <laughs> yes, we got a little feisty, a little, you know, mm-hmm. uh, nationalistic. I have been corrected before. <laughs>
0: Um, so, yeah, being a West Indian, a Bayesian woman, um, uh, what else? Being an entrepreneur, particularly an entrepreneur of color, I should say, particularly in this environment, in this climate that we have here.
1: What um, makes being it a- distinct?
0: <laughs> How much time we have? Right, we- I can guess, guess. but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because when I, um, there's so many levels to that. Um, when I growing up in Barbados, I never met a psychologist, but knew I wanted to be one right mm. very early on, like around 15 or so. And, um, that was my dream. I was going to come, I was going to become a doctor, psychology, have a private practice, have a business, um, cause I grew up around entrepreneurs and then going through the process of grad school. I remember coming out of grad school and hearing, like hearing myself say, Oh, I don't want to own a business. That's too hard. Mm. You know, this is not the path for me. And reflect, luckily I met some colleagues who had started their own practices and I was like, Oh, so it kind of op- reopened that, that, um, passion that I had. But what I realized was that the journey of graduate school kind of d- extinguished that fire mm. for, for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And then being an immigrant woman, not having You know, paper, and I had my papers for studying, and had to figure out how I was going to stay if I wanted to stay um, and get the immigration. You know, the right paperwork. Um, So there were also limitations about what you could do as an immigrant to own your own business. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of those things, but then finally, I figured out, okay, I could do this. Met a wonderful person who's now my husband, and solved some issues around the paperwork. Um, but, you know, I really, once I once to figured out how to do it, it just reignited that path for me, mm. that Entrepreneurship, but this climate, you know, one of the things that, you know, is a startup, considered a startup. And what I realized not, I didn't even know this going into this journey is that 0.6% of uh, black women get funded by VCs. So wait, 6%, 0. 06 on a good day, might be 0.5. Might be Not 0.5. even a percentage point. We don't even make a percent. We don't wow. even make 1%. So I didn't even know that going in. And then women of women in general, or I think women of color, probably about 2%. So really low numbers. Um. So that was just really eye opening when I had thought like, Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to raise some capital for this business. Are we going to take off? And then it was like a reality check. For that So I do emphasize the entrepreneur of color because our journey is very different.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I know that's going to hit for so many people who are interested mm-hmm. in entrepreneurship or who are in the throes of it. <laughs> just getting that reality and yeah. the resilience, even right. though that's the reality. What about it other is, aspects yeah. of your identities?
0: Um, So I talk about being um, a wife. And um, I've been married for, um, this year will be 20 years. Wow. We've been together 20 years, I should say. Yeah, about 20 years. You're kind of forgetting now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, 20 years. So a long time. And then again, being a mom of two young kids, um, those are some really important identities for me, being in the mental health field. Mm-hmm. Particularly in this time of our country and our world where, where there's a global mental health crisis. So, being able to share and lend my expertise to people to model for people who look like me, who never, you know, saw a therapist or never thought therapy was something that was for them, that healing was something for them, um, being able to shift that narrative is really, really inspiring.
1: Yeah. So what is it about being a mom, being a wife, being a black woman, being an immigrant that makes those stand out versus other aspects of you? You talked about entrepreneurship and why that stands out. But Mm -hmm. what about Mm -hmm. those?
0: Well, we should say (laughs) we live in this country, right? We live in this country where people who look like us um, kind of have to walk a very challenging path. -hmm. And I, you know, I think about you know as I was looking um, prepared for our talk together, you know, it's really salient for me um, raising two children in this country because my experience in Barbados was very different than the experience they're having, and in many ways, right. So, when did you immigrate? I came for college, so I I was about eighteen or nineteen. So your whole
1: childhood was in Barbados.
0: My whole childhood Mm -hmm. was there, surrounded by. Family, right? Um, Even though my my sister and I are 15 years apart, so she's 15 years younger. Um, So a lot of it was spent as like an only child, Mm -hmm. but having three male cousins who annoyed the hell out of me, but also loves me. (laughs) My aunt, um, who I love dearly, who's no longer with us. Mm -hmm. Um, But just being around my dad, you know, being around family and friendships were so different, a different pace of life. But having you know my community look like me, yeah. right? Knowing that they were easily to access, um, and for my children, their perspective is very different. Um, and so those are things that are important for me. Also, you know, we talked about parenting, parenting in this country away from family. Yeah, so they don't it's have rough. cousins. That it's rough. They don't have cousins that they could just you know, 20 minutes or five minutes being nearby, right? We have to get in a car and drive at least four hours for their closest mm-hmm. relative, mm-hmm. Um, their closest cousins. So very different, you know? So we're always really, I'm always really intentional in thinking about what is their experience? Um, like, how are they feeling loved in this yeah. world? How are they feeling loved with their communities? So those are some things that come up for me as I think about the salient, the you know the identities that mean so much to me Mm -hmm.
1: what about other identities you may not have mentioned so when you push a little bit more and you think about things like um you talked about age and being 50 but not what that (laughs) means you know (laughs) um talking about being like sexuality or social class like things Mm -hmm. ability Mm -hmm. status things that people don't often think about when they first think about what's salient yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um
0: so yeah, so middle age. I can claim that.
1: <laughs> um I would say um, Does it feel like 50 is just becoming middle age? Because I feel middle aged at 40. So <laughs> that to me is the 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 marker,
0: right? So what's what well, does look, it feel like is really really 30 was rough. 30 was rough and I had <laughs> just met my husband um and I like, was very
1: raggedy as well yeah
0: 30 was that was I feel like that was my middle age <laughs> because I was I was like rough um and so but th- I wasn't sure like how 50 would be like 40 was fine I was like pregnant and you know it was that but 50 was like this is a big one that's a big number, right? Because. When you're young, you think about someone who's fifty, you're like, ooh, they
1: at those old people. <laughs> right.
0: And now it's like, ooh, I'm that age.
1: So. You look at all our TV shows that we liked when we were kids, and you're like, I'm the parents' age. <laughs> right? Sometimes I'm the grandparents' age. <laughs> it's very
0: weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the other identities you talk about, I think maybe class, right? Mm-hmm. So growing up in, and, and that definitely does something that I don't think about as much. Um, growing up in the Caribbean, uh, my family, very humble beginnings. My family lived in government sub- subsidized housing. Um, my parents' divorce when I was about 10, mm-hmm. and then, my mom, as I mentioned earlier, she was an entrepreneur, and so she she was working a full time job. Left it, people thought she had lost her mind. So she was selling Avon products, and she just had a vision, and she was able to execute that vision, and you know, purchase land in this very affluent neighborhood and build a house from scratch. So come she, on, you know, mom! I know she's she's bad, she's badass. <laughs> um, so just seeing that model, and so again, so we moved you know, you know, class level in, in a pretty short space of time in my childhood.
1: How old were so, you when you shifted neighborhoods? Because I have a similar like storyline. And I think that age at which you shift has something to do with how you show up too. like you watching mm-hmm. that evolution. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's really interesting because so I was 15, I was about 15 mm-hmm. when you
1: you can really appreciate it at that point. I
0: could. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because my sister was 15. So she grew up in the new house. So she didn't experience the childhood idea, yeah. which was interesting, but we're also very the interesting piece because of our age difference. And I left for college. She also has a very experienced as an only child too. Yeah. So it's really, really, really interesting. Um, Ability status. I think, you know, medically i have high blood pressure which i'm pretty open about sharing because one it's there's a part that's hereditary but yeah. i think it's also a piece in a piece that's contributed to my journey to become a psychologist mm. coincidentally right just the stress that's involved with earning a degree and a lot of late nights and yes. um right and i i shifted pretty quickly into a high stress job um, as a friend, a psychologist, but you know, when you're young, you don't think about it that way. So I never thought it was oh. high stress. I never, but the habits, like it's so hard to break them right now. As <laughs> mm-hmm. a fifth year woman, trying to break those habits that I've mastered for 20 years. So
1: yeah, I and that about- were rewarded in so many ways.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that is an important point, especially as black women, because high blood pressure is relatively common. And the stress is a large reason why, I think so. Right. We talk
0: about like gene, and it's interesting because I do a lot of work similar to you around racial trauma. We talk about the genetics mm-hmm. of it more like a medical thing, but I, you know, I'm really tuned into the impact of, of historical trauma. Yeah. On that piece, on our our, our and the current problem on the history and the current drama.
1: Listen, the recent so like, today, <laughs> <laughs> the today level.
0: Yeah, exactly. That just perpetuate that, and sometimes uh, you know our mentalities well, This is something that I was inherited, so there's nothing I can do about it. And mm-hmm. so, really trying to shift my own mindset about
1: that as well. Well, we're gonna shift here because I think it's a perfect segue into. What does love mean to you?
0: Ah, I love that question. So, I, I mean, I have so many things to say about that. I think I start with, as an island woman, food, a mm. good meal, <laughs> some curry goat. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, family and community, I would say, too. Um, my, I grew up with parents who would, um, we have these festivals, but they would always have these food stands or I forgot the name of it, but they would have the a Dutch party where they would, you cook food and then people would come to your house, and oh, they yeah. would be like a vet. So they'd pay to come to you. So my parents always were creating community in that way. So even though I was the only child, and love my solitude. Yes. I also love being around people. So I think for that, for me, like community, I always love to build community, create community for myself and for others. So to me, that's love. And like around food makes it double. It's like that's a bonus.
1: (laughs) That's the bonus right there. How does that then vibe? Because you spoke to this and I think it's a common narrative that I hear and experience as well as a professional woman and a professional family Mm -hmm. where your community is so far away. Like, how do you feel loved when they're so far away? How do you keep it going? Or does it really impact how you feel loved?
0: Yeah. Um, And and thinking about how do my, you know, on my mind, how do my kids Mm express love? So I think for me, um, it's, you I've had to create community here. Yeah. Right. So, yes, um, family is far away. We don't get to touch and hug each other and um eating children's food you know on a weekly basis but so we stay in touch through you know whatsapp yeah phone calls um very intentional of making sure like my mom my sister reach out to the kids you know now that the kids you know can have a conversation yeah. um, send sending cards you know like make sure the kids send cards thank you cards to their parents their, their aunties and stuff like that they're, they're um, but I've also built community here. So I have, I'm part of <laughs> this, this running joke. I'm part of a, a book club of African women mm. who were younger, before kids, or when our kids were younger, it was all about connecting around food and reading books by women authors, you know, African mm. authors. We really were intense about reading books that by women who weren't necessarily in the ma- mainstream. So and that was huge community It was food the husbands and the boyfriends always love coming because never know they're gonna get a good meal (laughs) while babysitting yeah um so that's you know even though we don't read that's a running joke we don't really we don't really read anymore but we still (laughs) gather we have a whatsapp chat and so it's always all about that and so there's another um Group of women who are moms to girls. We started. We call it Black Girl Joy. Lots of so we gather at least at least once a year in the summer, bringing the girls, particularly during this COVID, but usually a summer event. Um, again, because it's really intentional to make sure kids see each other, see and see themselves reflected, and see the excellence of the other kids, but also of the parents that around them. So. I've had to be intentional about building that particularly because we live in a community where there are not a lot of children and not a lot of Black children. So Mm -hmm. we often have
1: to export our support system. Yeah. What would the world be like if it loved you or anyone with all of your shared identities?
0: Ah, I mean, just like a beautiful place, right? To just Love people just w- for who they are. You know, one of the things I always remember coming to this country. Like I always, I always had a smile on my face, and coming to this
1: country, people don't smile like. That. <laughs> Especially not in the Northeast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so like, I realized like I stopped smiling as much, and now now I'm like reclaiming that. I was like, yes. this is like a beautiful thing. Um, but like, just you know, there's so much joy and love that emanates. And so if people just could receive that, yeah. right, they would receive that joy in life and be, and spread that around, right? Because mm-hmm. it's contagious. It's something that's contagious.
1: That's powerful that when you named coming to this country and being someone who smiles, then you walk right. down the street and you smile and the person's like suspicious of you. <laughs> like, right. why, what you who are you looking at? Why are you smiling at me? <laughs> are you out of your mind? Like, you know, because it's so outside of the cultural norm in this space. Yeah. So when you bring it back now, do people have a shift around that? Do they return the smile? They see you smiling.
0: Yeah, so, and you know, it's like, for me now, it's like, it's about me. It's not about them, right? And so, again, this part about showing up as who I am and Mm -hmm. not really worrying about what someone else is going to say or do. If I feel it, just give it, you know, <laughs> they may look, they'll be like, <laughs> they may give me a side eye, yes. but it's all good, you know, but cause it's for me.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. I think that's the take home point though. Cause the you being you is for you. It's not for mm-hmm. other people to fall in line or to control them. It really is like, this is what feels right for me. Most authentic to me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: How does the work that you do with inner relate to this world that you can imagine, this loving world?
0: Mm. So, yeah, you know, I started inner because one, I was going through, I was looking for a therapist myself mm. and I couldn't find one.
1: It's so hard as a psychologist to find a mental health professional Yeah, <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> Right. Exactly. I think that was
0: part of it, right? Uh, but that was not all of it. Okay. So it was that, um, we were, you know, my husband and I we were going through some stuff. He needed some help. He was looking for somebody. He wanted a male, a female of color. I wanted a woman of color. Um, We couldn't, like the, the directors that were out there just weren't adequate. And you put in black person and you get all kind of people who who were not black, who were white, <laughs> this is crazy this is wild this is wild so we end up finding a white jewish woman and we're like all right but she was was like call me i was like august like call me back in november i should have an appointment in december and i called her back in november she's like oh you she was (laughs) surprised i was like yeah nobody else had opened up so oh wow um so i was like this is not okay i'm like i have tools i know how to figure this out i know who to talk to i can but I just worried about my people. Yeah. And you know, to have to wait six months. Cause if we're coming to therapy, we're usually not coming when things are oh, okay,
1: you know. This- just like I could use. <laughs> it's like this is like lightweight a crisis already.
0: <laughs> no, this is people are like, I need this now. And so to think about having to wait and then also just the the search process. It was so challenging. Like I said, you put in something that you want and you get, you would get nothing that you wanted. So that was what inspired me. And I think along this journey, I, people have found it so helpful. I hear people say, thank you so much. I found my therapist on InnoSight. Um, you know, as I had, even when, you know, again, as we were starting up, people were just so appreciative. And for me, the joy is that I'm seeing my people want therapy, Mm, mm -hmm. right? And talk about their journey with me or with other people. And um, the idea that we are realizing that we can heal, that we have their tools for us to heal. And I don't think I would say, I don't think therapy is the only, only tool or only strategy, but that people are open to it.
1: Yeah.
0: It just brings a lot of joy. Um, so that that is just, to me, that's just, that's powerful. It's so powerful to see people use it once, It be frustrated when they can't find somebody. right? Because right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I mean, not yes, you can't find somebody, but yes, you're going to be persistent about yes. that. So, yeah.
1: When I ask people that question, like, what would the world be like if it loved you? And they give me their answer. I'm always curious about what you're doing in the world to create that world. And this sounds like one of your contributions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, I, like I told you, I, I didn't, this was not in my plan Yeah. In my journey, my career journey. My dream job was to work in a high school and support young people, mm-hmm. be a trusted adult. And I did that. <clears throat> I did that for seventeen years, and then it was. I didn't know Art. that. Yeah, I worked at a high school, arts high school here in Boston. Um, I left uh two years ago. And but that was you know, and it was through just taking some leadership. I was really happy with my job. I loved the job. I loved mm-hmm. the work. The teenagers were alone much <laughs>
1: as I was getting middle <laughs> aged. I'll be honest. <laughs> it's different when you're middle aged, you're like, okay. Different.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but I loved it. I mean, it was such a creative, great place to be, co-workers, you know, for the most part. Um but then I got really tuned into this, again, tapping back into the entrepreneurship side of me. I had a private practice that was continuing, but I just got inspired to do something different and bigger. And so yeah, it's been again, I didn't and this was not my my career path, but it has allowed me to tap into other pieces of my brain and to like share what I know at a wider level, which Mm. I think is really really exciting.
1: Mm -hmm. What identities and others do you sometimes struggle to love?
0: (laughs) This was a hard one. I was like, oh, man. She goes deep on this. listen,
1: because it's real. We all got a little struggle here and there. I mean,
0: I'm a therapist, so like those are things you don't really say. <laughs> I would say, you know, I think about just kind of the work that I do, you know, not only as a therapist, but as a DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner. Um you know, I work with a lot of people, I work with resistance, I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. But I think the 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 identities or I would say even like mindsets are people who just are closed minded yeah. and and then and are bent on making my life difficult because you don't like me because of how I show up, which I can't do anything about. Right. So those are those are kind of identities. And people I think there are people who like See, I mean, it might be. I think their mindset might see it as mindset, but I also feel like the people who are entrenched in that yeah. identity as well. So
1: you're right. There's a mindset where sometimes that's how you were socialized, but then you double down. Sometimes <laughs> it's like it's not just the mindset that you happen to have. It's like I committed, yes, and you are getting in the way of that commitment. And I have internalized this identity, and it means something to me. And I will fight you about it yes
0: and we're seeing a lot of that and uh i can't remember the names but the ones who are going after the schools yes who offer
1: diversity
0: and let's talk about our history or some of the
1: um you mean political leaders political <laughs> leaders yes, yes.
0: And the people who are making
1: these laws and policing people's body i mean like what like what like what but, I, you know, I, i'm sitting here wondering <laughs> and i have been having this conversation with folks do people really mean this or is it just politically purposeful i want i always want to know like especially for people who are so hypocritical and don't live up to it in their normal lives i wonder is it like what's the political purpose of this is it just so you can get funded to run again or do you really mean this, this is like deeply you
0: I feel like there's a little bit of both.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. Right? Be-
0: right, cuz it's right. It's and, and the hypocrisy in all of it. Right? It's just like particularly some of the reproduction stuff. Oh. Like I'm not I'm when which I I understand people, you know, choice or yeah. then to think about, well, I don't care anything about the mother. Like like, like to me it's like, well, like you at like- all. To you. <laughs> so not being able to see the gray or like you know be like yeah okay like
1: okay we'll give you that one you know right yeah, good. <laughs> and i mean and then you find out <laughs> 10 years ago or 15 years ago they were in that same boat and they exercised their autonomy or asked somebody to exercise that autonomy it's like okay so, right. did, how much did you have to be paid to go on this? <laughs> like,
0: how? I, but I don't. think people forget. I think people forget, or it they it makes sense in their minds, right? Yeah. They're they I don't know. I don't. I don't know that it's all political. Maybe I don't know. Like, cause that then also feels just as bad. Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> that feels worse almost. Like I could feel like if that's your like your ideology. Right. And you can't change that. I don't know, maybe. But if then you're doing this just for finance, power.
1: If finance and power seems to be the case for <laughs> some people. And at that point, I'm like, wow, you can really be bought. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Our last question. Oh yeah, that's (laughs) you just got me all riled (laughs) up. Right, because it frustrates me so much too. So I really feel you on that. But the last question is a shift. What do you love most about you?
0: I love that. I'm gonna take a breath on this one. Hmm. Um, I would say I love. Like how I show up, I love you know. Again, I talk about just just smiling and trying to um, bring joy in spaces. Use humor. Um, I'm a little awkward, black girl. So I love my Issa Rae because she gets yes. <laughs> <laughs> and people don't see me as awkward, but I <laughs> so awkward, but I love it. You know, it's like, um, and I love how I think mm. and how I think about the world. Yes, yeah. and and about changing the world, right? You know, a lot of the work I do is to make sure that my kids and our kids and kids who look like us don't maybe have to navigate all the things that we've had to navigate. So, mm-hmm. um, that brings me joy to think about, you know, them having a different experience, different journey that we've had.
1: Yeah, and that is how. To love a human. Thank you so much for being with me, Dr. Charmaine. Can you just let folks know where you want to be found?
0: Absolutely.
1: So I can find you. Can find
0: me. Um, Inno Psych is our website. Inno like innovative, Psych like psychology. Um, we are on Instagram, which is our probably our most popular engagement platform for us on t- Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, at Inno Psych TV, And yeah, always reach out. Uh, we love connecting with our audiences. We have a weekly newsletter where you can tap into all that's happening um, along with our events. So thank, and, like, you. thank you for having me. This has been wonderful, wonderful thank conversation. Thank you so
1: much for coming. Take the care.